Let us pray. Gracious loving God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for this chance to come before you. We give you thanks for your word. We give you th thanks for the way your spirit moves through it. God, may your spirit move through us that we may be faithful interpreters. In Jesus' most holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good evening, friends, and welcome to another fun-filled edition of Scripture Talk, um, the podcast where we do at least vaguely what we say we do, uh, which is talk <laughs> about Scripture. Um, I am Pastor Trey Comstock. With me as ever, Sister Brady Dudley. Pastor Scott Ketchup. And on the ones and twos once again, Stacy Tyler. Yeah, absolutely. Welcome back, Stacy. We are so glad to have you back. Um, it is quite an adventure running this studio from my tablet. Um, it works, but only barely. It is barely controlled chaos. Um, our scripture this evening is Acts chapter 4, verses 5 through 12. The next day, their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, all who were of the high priestly family. When they, when they had made the prisoners stand in their midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are questioned today because of a good deed done to someone who was sick and are asked how this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that the man is standing before you in good health by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders. It has, come, it has become the cornerstone. That there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among mortals by which you must be saved. So again, um, as we talked about, uh, touched on some last week, touch on again this week, um, you got to think about not just what Peter says. Um, this happens to be two weeks in a row where it's, you know, Peter and John in a situation. Um, but we've got to look at where he is. And so last week we were in the temple portico, um, Solomon's portico. So we're, we're within the temple grounds uh, where Peter is talking. Here we are, uh, Peter is appearing before this kind of whole council of uh, the temple hierarchy, the kind of, you know, be all and end all of Jewish authority of the day. Um, as they're standing in judgment of him as a prisoner. And this would be a really convenient time to say, yeah, I've said all these things, but like, I don't really mean them. This would be a great time to recant or beg for your life um, or any number of things. And Peter um, does exactly none of those things. Instead, Peter doubles down. Um, again, once again, we're going, Jesus, whom you killed... <laughs> Is, is, is he's preaching salvation there um, in this kind of really dangerous and deadly setting, right? You cannot set aside just how risky this is, how high the stakes are. These are the same people who handed Jesus over the Romans, right? Literally. Literally. You know, uh, yeah. you know, before when he was addressing the crowd, it was kind of in general you, but no, he's before the same people that made the decision. I mean, you've, Potentially got the Sanhedrin there. The uh, you, right, know, you have Caiaphas. Caiaphas is there. He's, yeah. he's just not so, high priest anymore. Yeah. It, it's so it's he's literally you are the man <laughs> who who did this, and then goes on to you, know, you want to know by what name, by what power, why what authority? It's in the name of Jesus, and then doubles down with going on into the salvation message of and 
incidentally, is the only way that we can be saved. Not any of the other stuff that, you know, it's left unsaid, but there would have been teachings of salvation and for the Jewish people that would have come from these very leaders that he's hitting that the fulfillment of all of that is in Jesus. Yeah, let me remind you who you crucified, and this is why we do what we do is by his name. Yeah. Well, and they've and, and and again, as with there at the temple in the previous chapter, we've got this setup where they have offered a very distinct proof, right? They have done wonders um, in the name of Jesus, and so this is not again. This is not just um, we say that Jesus is risen. They are offering evidence that Jesus' power is still present um, and very active in the world and doing incredible things. You know, that this man, you know, he, you want, we say these things and we boldly proclaim them. Yeah. Um, and we do so without fear before you. And part of why we do so without fear before you is here. You can see the evidence. You know what we're talking about is real. I've always suspected the hierarchy knew well before that, uh-huh. right? Yep. You know, they would have known with Jesus' birth and, and how, you know, when the wise men go to Herod and then Herod goes to the scribes. We see this wonderful uh, situation of, yeah, that irrefutable proof is in front of them. They can't deny that. Um, and, and in some ways, the, the, the disciples are sitting there going, so we're in trouble for doing a good thing, right? It- <laughs> <laughs> well, it's doing a good thing that they don't want them to do, right? Like, yeah. um, this, because this, end, this starts to put the lie. And a lot of these interactions, including those leading up to the crucifixion, of Christ kind of put the lie to the temple hierarchy. Yeah. They pitch themselves as, as, a, as I said, the kind of be all and end all of God's authority in the world. And they sat certainly in a, in a very important thing theologically, something that scripture in the Old Testament repeats over and over again is important, right? The temple really matters. Um, it, you know, the, a lot of what scripture has to say, um, it, you know, it, is like how to build the temple. And these are the exact coordinates of the temple. And this is how it is to be mm-hmm. built. And, you know, who got to build it and who didn't get to build it. That was a big deal between Solomon and David, right? And so the temple is this thing that matters super deeply um, and is believed, as we've often talked about, is believed to be the literal seat of God on earth. So the people who manage the literal seat of God on earth, that is a position of power. But what you are watching here is not that God was never present in the temple. No, God was present in the temple. This is two things. One, God saying quite firmly and coming in Christ as the incarnation that I don't just sit in the temple. I sit here as well and here being the presence of Christ in the world. And you are seeing the temple hierarchy misuse that very important, very great power that they have been given um, because they are, they see all of these proofs. They see all of the things. They know scripture, um, but they know the prophets better than anybody else. And they consistently reject and actively try to kill uh, the people who proclaim the message that they must know to be true. And I, I think that is one of the biggest proofs, to, at least to me, uh, regarding the resurrection. When you look at how beneficial it would have been to them and uh-huh. their ideal to quickly squash that by proving that there was no resurrection, presenting the body or, or some way, but they couldn't, and it continues to grow. And, and the fact that, I mean, Peter, even, even the change in his life, 
he has every reason to be afraid in this room. Right, exactly. This is the very people who crucified Jesus, right. handed him over, uh, had his... You know, with Jesus, they, they, they kind of tried him at night, which, you know, they weren't supposed to for their own laws. <laughs> oh, no, they're breaking laws. Like they, they cooperate with the Romans, right? Like, again, you want to go back to, like, stuff what the temple leadership did. Like, they are supposed to be diametrically opposed to the Romans, and they go to Pilate, and they're like, look, Pilate, you know, we, you know, anyone who is, we're a friend of the emperor, uh, you know. No, they're not, or no, they should not be. Oh yeah, they broke all kinds of their laws. Yeah, and but yet in this we we have God taking this situation, and and, and it's still it's it's all from this healing that is causing the gospel to be preached in well in, in the inner sanctum that right. they wouldn't have normally as uh, fishermen been able to walk into anyway, and we know that it was an effective message. Uh, I mean. Later in this uh, chapter, I was reading a little ahead, and, and, and I love how you, you get this viewpoint of where they, you hear what the Sanhedrin are talking amongst themselves privately. Well, there's only one way Luke would have had that right. information. Whomever, whether it's ultimately later down the road Paul or some other person that was in that meeting, was saved and gave them that information. And so, I mean, it's as often as we like to give the uh, leadership a hard time. There were those who did come to see the uh, truth and follow Jesus. And another aspect that I like of this scripture is the name of Jesus of Nazareth, that his name holds so much power to uh, heal the sick, raise the dead. When you call on on the name of Jesus, things change. And that name, there's no other name on uh, under heaven that can bring salvation. That's how powerful his name is. In as much that his name needs to be revered and respected. I mean, go all the way back to Exodus, the Ten Commandments. You know, thou shall, you know, take the you shouldn't take the name of the Lord in vain. You know, so that's how powerful his name is. That uh, when you call on the name of Jesus, things can happen. So I just marvel at just the name itself. It's just and, and there's more to that uh, from their perspective than what we tend to think of when we think of names. Uh, you know, they, they ask them. And, and, by whose power and in, in whose name. Right. In other words, in whose power. Power. Yeah. yeah. Whose character, whose authority are you doing this in? And that's what's meant, you know, not just the word Jesus or Yeshua or whatever, but in the authority and character of the Son of God. Well, this goes back uh-huh. to, um, this is one of those pieces that modern humans just do not understand, right? Yeah. Because to carry someone's name was to carry their authority. Mm-hmm. This, you know, this goes back to um, one of the most, imp- maybe the most important um, moment of this is Moses at the burning bush. Yeah. Why does it matter so much um, that Moses, that God give Moses God's name. That Mo- this is something like Moses is insisting for. Like, no, you got to tell me, right? You got to give this thing to me, so yeah. that, like, so that Moses could know clearly that he carries not just the name, you know, to quote Shakespeare, like, what's in a name? Um, but here, name means authority, right? Mm-hmm. So in the name of Jesus, you know, we, we sing the song. There's power in the name of Jesus, which is like really lost on everyone who sings yeah his name it's great no it, <laughs> yes it's beautiful um we don't actually know what it, we don't call him by his right name anyway whatever right, right. but like no it's because like name is to carry authority and that's also the bit in the 10 commandments about 
um, not using the Lord's name in vain. This uh-huh. is it's not about not saying as I often say, like it's not about not saying the F word in front of your grandmother. Uh, scripture is largely indifferent on that. Your right. grandmother's not indifferent on that, but scripture <laughs> is indifferent on that. <laughs> scripture does not care if you use, you know, foul language in front of your mother. Um, take that up with your mother. Um, what the idea of not taking the Lord's name in vain means do not misuse the authority the, of God. Yeah, the power and authority, yeah. Don't boss God around. Um, there's a couple of great comments in the chat. Um, yeah, yeah, y'all just mad because I'm right. Yeah, there's part of it. Um, also, uh, they are mad that they see Jesus above them in ranking. Yeah, and so all of this comes down to, from the Sanhedrin's perspective, is all about power, mm-hmm. right? Um, it is a tremendous bit of power to sit on, you know, be the gatekeeper, be the literal gatekeepers to God. Yeah. Right, um, you are God's chief of staff. You are the gatekeeper. You control the little, literal great gate to the holy of holies. And so, Jesus' presence on earth as God among us is itself um, a delib- like a deliberate move by God to say, "I am not limiting myself to what these people are doing." And you can see why. Here again, they are abusing their power. Um, they want these people to stop preaching. They want these people to stop doing healings. If they're able to heal at all, right? Clearly, it's from God. This is one of the points Peter keeps making. Like, look, how else do you think we can do this? It ain't us. It's him. It ain't us. You know, I can't. Well, you know, I'm a, I'm a fisherman, not a doctor. <laughs> right. Uh, another, another interesting comment someone threw in there uh, from Aaron. How about the honor your father and mother passage when it comes to foul language? Well, right, oh, but yeah. like. It is not inherently like my mother has no problem with a vast array of foul language. It may have taught me some of it, right? But so that is like, that is honor your father and mother, but it is nothing inherent about the F word um, that runs counter to biblical teaching. If your mother tells you don't say it, then that is where we start to get involved in scripture. So when I was growing up in a, a church of Christ, uh, we were kind of uh, when it came to the foul language. We were, they were uh, they taught us. Well, would Jesus use that kind of language? And you're representing Jesus Christ, so you shouldn't use that kind of language because of that. Well, yeah, oh, yeah. It, it does. Th- there's that balance. The balance of being uh, not wanting to purposely offend someone and uh, turn someone away from the gospel, but the other aspect of his understanding that us incorrectly using Jesus, the word Jesus, especially since you know that's not his actual name is a translation. <laughs> Here we go again. Yes. Right, right. It's, it's, it's uh, a translation uh, of a translation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, uh, it, yeah, it's, it's the balance. But um, the heart of that being that it's in what he did on the cross. It's yeah. his nature that brings the power and the resurrection and the salvation that we are all in need of, that his audience was in need of, that was causing the miracles to happen that was now getting them in trouble right. because... And, and I can only imagine from the other uh, side of the bench, you know, they're thinking, okay, we killed the leader. This ought to squash this. What do you mean there's miracles still going on? Right. What do you mean it's spreading? And uh, if I remember correctly, a little bit later in this, it talks about the number jumping to 5,000 yes. uh-huh. by this point. You know, and it was just 3,000 right. so, yeah. passages so ago. Immediately prior to this is the Acts 4, 1 through 4 that is like, hey, things are going great. Um, there, there is this, we get this, we get this image inner or at least inner I can't remember the exact order, but in in chapter four, we get this image of like, Hey, things are going great. 
Um, everything is everyone is sharing things in common. Anyone that has need gets it. They're all under you know under the authority of the apostles, and they're learning and they're growing, and more are being added to their number every day. Right? Like we see this like growing thing that you know we, it's hard to know the time scale of acts mm -hmm. right but we'll just go with two chapters ago which <laughs> it was clearly some time has passed because Caiaphas is no longer high priest yeah um so time has passed um dot 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 some months later not super long but like in a <laughs> very back to the temple Meanwhile, uh -huh. back at the temple. Right. So in one day, we go from like 100 people in a room to 3,000, right? So that's the, that's the jump of Pentecost, and it's yeah. remarkable. And we know that we've moved up in numbers, right? And especially if you think about, like, to make that kind of jump, even in the modern world where there are a lot more people, is, would be remarkable, yeah. right? Any church that, in, even in a, num in a small number of years, goes from 100 people to 5,000 people, um, that, I will tell you, is a logistics problem. It is a logistics problem I'm willing to face. Mm -hmm. um, I will gladly face that logistics challenge, uh, <laughs> but it is a logistics challenge, right? Like, what do you do with all those people? Um, but in terms of your power, your clout, your, your sustainability, right? Now, this is not a hundred scared people in a room anymore. This is many thousands of people um, in and around Judea um, that are starting to constrain and really put pressure on as a visible reminder of the ebbing power of the temple and the ebbing power of the Sanhedrin, that you now have thousands of people that do not look to the Sanhedrin as for direct access to God. They are having a direct moment with God um, in baptism. They're having a direct yeah. moment with God in the fellowship. That's what the Holy Spirit is. Like the Holy Spirit is saying, yeah, yeah, God's in the Holy of Holies, right? That's in scripture. Okay, fine. But God is not just in the Holy Holies. The seat of God can be any believer, not just one specially perfectly square room. Right. See, they were scared of that. They're, I mean, they were scared of that thought for the main reason that I say it uh, before and I'll say it again. Their power was threatened. They were scared to lose their power, the, the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees and Sadducees. So they don't want that thought. They don't want the name of Jesus to be even said because there goes their power. There goes right, their position. Right, because Jesus became like, um, he went from being a minor inconvenience to the temple to a, a complete movement. Of, of uh, this period it's a complete movement well and that's part of like what happened that's part of what Palm Sunday is right yeah it is this like visible show of Jesus' power that then needs to be quashed immediately it doesn't work because um, all that does is then breed Pentecost um, yeah. and then here we're seeing the Sanhedrin with even less effectiveness so here um, spoilers for what happens, but we, we, we're not going to preach on the, the rest of this rest of this chapter. If you want a, an exhaustive take by me of in, the entire book of Acts, just find our series Near Misses of the New Testament on both our Facebook page and our YouTube channel. Yeah. Um, I literally did chapter by chapter all of Acts through the pandemic. Um, but that was a Wednesday night thing. We don't we hadn't touched Acts enough Sunday morning. That's why. Hence the series. Anyways, spoilers. They get away. And not only do they not, not only do they get away, it's not like through, it is a miracle, but it's not like God busts open the you know, wall. It's they get let go. Um, and not only do they get let go, they don't even have to make good on their promise to stop preaching, right? Because there's this kind of like, look, we'll let you go if you just stop preaching. And Peter goes, no, no, I am not going to do that. Yeah. Okay. You, okay. You, you tell me, is it better to obey God or man? What do you think? I mean, it kind of tosses it back on them. And that's what's going on is 
in this is you're getting those who should know, those who should be leading the people, are actually being those that are kicking against the goad and just just getting in the way. And what what's happening is there's being an example shown that the power they think they have in comparison to the real power right. of God, and you're seeing that how they've just been going through the motions. I mean, quite literally, literally going through literally the motions. Literally going through it when you look at what was going on with the sacrifices and all that, and that they no longer had the Ark of the Covenant that had been up until Jesus the quote physical representation right. of God's presence, and now Jesus, as is also being referred to, Emmanuel, God with us, literally the manifestation of God here what it's and it really is in some ways a harsh judgment on them right yeah that you know uh that and, and again them specifically and this is where we have to separate out the sanhedrin and the pharisees right because what the pharisees are mad about is different than what the sanhedrin are mad about um because what the sanhedrin realizes must see is that they are being utterly rejected Right, that they had gone from having all the power of access to God, and now God is literally everywhere. Right, <laughs> what the Pharisees are mad about is that their thunder as the reform movement of Judaism has been stolen. Yeah. Um, let's also be clear that the Pharisees represent, and as mad as the Gospels get about the Pharisees, and look, it it was rough. Um, they had a rough relation, they had a rocky start. Fair, like Pharisaic Judaism is modern Judaism. Right. And so clearly the like the temp, temple Judaism doesn't make it past 72. When did the Romans tear the temple down? 72 or 70? Um, early 70s. Early let's 70s. go with early 70s, 70s AD. Kind of if anyone yeah. wants to Google that, post it in the chat. I'll gladly read. I'll gladly yeah. correct myself. But it's either 70 or 72 when the Romans yeah. tear it down. I think it was 70. But, um, uh-huh. Yeah. But, for, you know, but yeah, it's you get my point. Right. So like. Temple Judaism doesn't make it. The Sanhedrin don't make it. There are not a Sanhedrin in the 21st century. There are Pharisees in the 20th, 21st century. And I don't mean that in the bad way of like people who are overly legalistic, <laughs> which is not really what the Pharisees are about either. Yeah. They're about, let's be so good at following God that we never go into exile again, which yeah. in principle is a thing we, be- we believe, right? Let's, but A, how you get good, and B, how you treat people that have not gotten good yet is where the Pharisees, at least at that time, missed the mark. But the Pharisees do also withstand the test of time. They yeah. are still here, um, particularly in modern Orthodox Judaism. So I just I want to, we always like I want to always tease that out because we lump them together, and, and I, yeah. I hear myself do it. You know, the the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin. A, none of those people like each other. Right. B, the Sanhedrin don't make it. Pharisees do. Um, because at least what Pharisees are about is devotion to what God said, not a devotion to their own earthly power. Yeah. Do they always mm-hmm. get it right? No, cl- clearly not. Or it's clearly from the gospel's perspective, clearly not. Um, but let's tease those things out. Also, there's a ton of good stuff in the chat. Yeah. Um, I don't think God cares if you say his name wrong, if your heart is screaming for help. Right, it's not not taking God's name in vain is not about how you say God's name. It is about how you use God's power and authority. Right. Um, the amount of time, I don't know. Okay. Uh, could we now, in this time, stand up for the gospel with the threat of public hum- humiliation, let alone death? Well, mm-hmm. welcome to what yeah. is the point of studying the scripture um, and having this in our series on evangelism. Welcome to it, right? Like, the fundamental question of this that this scripture needs to ask us is are we willing to be like peter um and that is take 
a real extreme risk. We know yeah. how the story ends. Peter doesn't when he's standing there. Uh, but what Peter says is, I'm going to speak the truth. Um, and it works out. Um, but sometimes it works out means you die in the process, right? Yeah. Peter makes it. Stephen doesn't. Right? right. Yeah. Right. So. Straight up. I have a question, Trey. Go ahead. Um, is Oops. this possible right, that the, the Pharisees, maybe some of them did believe that uh, Jesus Christ was who he said he was and they just felt threatened from like losing their power because they had, they had the covenant there that like, they could control that they couldn't control Jesus Christ and they were going to lose their, their power, their, 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 their deal by uh, letting him take over. I mean, I think that's certainly part of it, right? Mm-hmm. I think the people who are more concerned about power is the temple is the temple yeah. folks. Um, for the Pharisees, it was, um, an, it was an understanding of, of justice and mercy. What the Pharisees were very much about was the, was the justice of like, we are going to get this mm-hmm. right. Um, and what Jesus would say is, you know, what the Sermon on the Mount is, is Jesus going, yes, we're going to get it right together. Yeah. Right. Um, you, cause anytime Jesus goes, you have heard it said. It's always a quote from the law, right? right? Yeah. You have always you have heard it said, uh, "Thou shalt not murder." Okay, yeah, but even if you kill someone in your mind, which everyone's done, right? Most people, Jesus is talking to most people. I'm not going to say all people, but most people on this podcast, listening to this podcast, have never killed anybody, right? Mm-hmm. But how many of us have killed someone in our mind, right? Uh huh. Yeah. Um, but. And so that is Jesus very much saying something that the Pharisees would go, yeah, dog, I'm in it. Um, But where the Pharisees fall short is they reject and stigmatize those who miss the mark. And they end up creating this whole world of social outcasts of people who were unclean for whatever reason, Uh, whether they were sick with leprosy um, or had uh, sins they hadn't worked through in their life or whatever, where sinner became this like terrible stigmatized thing. And what Jesus would say is, no, it's not about, it is about get it right, but there is also mercy and grace. Uh, And I think it's also fair to point out that, uh, to the Pharisees' benefit. Um, Jesus was not the first individual to show up and claim to be the Messiah. Correct. This was not the first movement of individuals <laughs> coming up. And so at this point, you know, the, you can find certain scriptures that it's almost like, look, guys, not another we've one. seen this before. Let's just let it be. It'll die out like all the well, others. Yeah, Remember yeah. that one that was wearing camel's hair and baptizing the desert? Herod, <laughs> cut off that guy's head. It'll just, we're going to this guy, another head on another platter. Here we go. Yeah. Yes, let it die out. Yeah. And then it doesn't. Yeah. And, so, <laughs> and yeah. He's become the chief cornerstone of the face. Right. right. Yeah. Um, uh, by the way, it is 70. Uh, thank you, Joe, for Googling that. It started the takedown in March of 70 AD, finished by September of 70 AD. Okay, yeah. Um, that's Again, I, I had both of those numbers in my head. Who knows why? Um, so this is about that question. It is understanding the stakes and why we've talked a lot about the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin. Just understand the stakes here, yeah. right? This is the core leadership. Um, the you know the power of Jerusalem um, sits in their hands. The power of access to God sits in their hands. And like um, Peter boldly proclaims the word even to them, um, and he gets away with it. Uh, but sometimes getting away with it means you meet your heavenly home. Um, and so the fundamental question we need to ask ourselves in reflecting on this scripture and in going into the sermon is: if we were put in a modern version of this, 
Mm. Um, whether it is physical risk or fearing social isolation, which is more more realistic um, for most Christians, uh, certainly most Christians who will hear this message. Um, although there are certainly Christians around the world taking very physical risks um, to preach the gospel. I often um, often tell the story of um, a guy I knew in Poland who uh, um, would smuggle Bibles into the Soviet Union during the Cold War. Um, that he had a suitcase with a false bottom. Um, and he would put Bibles in it and then seal it up and, and go into Russia and literally run Bibles into Russia. He was just this old Polish missionary guy. Um, and so he took real risks, right, um, to make sure the Word of God could, you know, penetrate the, the, iron, the, the iron Curtain. Um, and that kind of stuff still goes on in, in places like China right now. Um, yeah. oh, you know, where, you know, I've had... I've, I've had projects I've worked on shut down by the Russian, by the modern Russian, Russian government. Um, like, so there are real physical risks, but also for more realistic for a Christian living in Palestine, Texas, in the heart of the Bible belt is, are you willing, um, to face the social isolation and awkwardness and whatever, um, that is involved with boldly proclaiming God. And we'll be willing to do that. We're willing to go all the way and preach the gospel, no matter what comes our way. We won't shut up. Right. I mean, that's yeah. certain. That, that's that's certainly the goal. My question is, how many people really are? How many people are really currently willing to do that? Um, how many people have done that in their Christian journey? Um, and how many people? Okay. That. Sorry, I was I was briefly getting a phone call. Um, how many people um, are willing? We, or rather, more of us need to be willing to step up and do that. Right. Yeah. Um, right. Because I mean, my suspicion is not all that many people do. I say it was it was a real shock to me when I first became a Christian and like I talked to people about Christ and I just look at you like I don't want to hear that. You know. Sure. And it, it just real shocked me. Like I thought that was like what you everybody like wanted to hear about the Lord and. Nope. No, it's the exact opposite. No, they so, don't want to hear it. Not everyone so, yeah. in church wants to hear so, it. Okay. I, I, remember, right. I remember. I actually remember being at the YMCA and 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 talking to them, and it was almost kind of like a, hey, you know, are, are you Christian too? Yeah, I'm. You know. Yeah. In the Bible Belt in the 21st century. Yeah, exactly. Like, wow. Uh, on that note, it's probably as good a place as any to bring this in for a landing. Uh, thank you so much uh, to all of y'all who were in chat uh, this evening. Um, it certainly makes it more fun when we can bounce off people and talk about swearing, one of my favorite topics. Uh, if you have other thoughts on swearing or what we talked about, please leave a comment on Facebook, over on our YouTube channel, our website, palestinegrace.com slash video, or email address gracechurchpalestine at gmail.com. If you're looking for an audio-only version of the show, um, simply search Scripture Talk by Grace Church in your podcatcher of choice. If you want to watch us live, we record live um, every Monday evening at 6 p.m. over at facebook.com slash Palestine Grace Church. Those of you joining in live think that's obvious, but some people listen after the fact and don't know we do this live and the other way around. Um, and also, um, go in peace to love and serve the Lord and fear not. Stay well. God is with us.
Lobster. <laughs> waka, waka, waka. Lobster.